Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. It's not, uh, it's not bad for sure not. It's uh, you know testing is testing, but it's always a good sign when you roll out and you straight away go to the top of the speed chart. So that's a good sign. And uh, we've run through some some dampers here in the morning. Wanted to do some data get, gathering, but yeah, the car is fast. The, the number eight car is fast, and that's uh, that's what we need to have for for the month. You think you miss it until you drive the car and you realize you really miss it. But my decision is made, so I might as well enjoy the next 40 plus days and realize that that's an end of a great, great career. And and, and that's it. It's going to be from now on. It's going to be emotional every day, for one way or the other. It's going to be emotional from drivers into through the checker flag but i'm fine with it i am gonna try to enjoy as much as i can uh yeah you're always learning like it's yeah, always sure, great yeah, to yeah. be on track you know i think for us and some of us veterans that when i started you know we probably did 50 or 60 days of testing and now we're limited to like five you know so yeah. uh the part i love the most about racing is driving the car that's what i've always loved so being here and being out on the track uh, or any track that we go to is is the fun part and especially when you've got some additional, you know, pieces to try, that always makes it interesting as well. Yeah, pretty good. You know, I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It feels really good. Uh, there's a lot going on today, as you can imagine. you got 33 cars out here and a lot of time. Everyone's trying to cram stuff in. It looks like weather's coming in tomorrow, so I think everyone's trying to be as productive as possible today. It's probably going to be incredibly busy here this last hour. Um, but early, early indications are things are good. I, you know, I was really happy this morning. And I was really happy in the afternoon here on the initial runs. We're going to bring the car back out and try and get a little bit more in here. While IndyCar returns to action this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park, the Indy 500 is 33 days away, and we've got the IMS test to recap. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Trackside, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. With our final program in April, we begin daily shows Next Monday, throughout the month of May, 7 until 8 o'clock here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is along with me. Eddie Garrison is in our Indianapolis studios as well. You heard from several notable drivers after the test last week. Two-day test became one day, but it was an extended one day. Uh, Let's see. We heard from the reigning winner, Marcus Erickson. We heard from a former winner. In Tony Kanaan, a former winner in Scott Dixon, and someone that really hopes to become a winner very, very soon, Joseph Newgarden. So we'll get to what's coming up at Barber. We got a few other nuggets on the program tonight. The it's now finally officially confirmed by all parties, not just some of the parties, but RC Enerson will be in an able motorsports car coming up. Uh, at the Indianapolis 500, and he is the 34th entry. And RC will join us coming up in hour number two. You're welcome to offer thoughts, questions, comments at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Uh, before we get to Barber, 
Let's just go in order. Now, there's probably some other things we need to to finish up from Long Beach. We can go back to, but IMS test. What'd you think? What'd you make? What'd you learn? Well, uh, you know, it's very difficult to maybe come to some conclusions with what we saw, but you know, it was a it was an interesting day from the standpoint that everybody got to run, everybody got a chance to you know, see their cars on the oval again for the first time in, you know, a calendar year. Uh, it was good to get a lot of the rookie stuff out of the way. Of course, as you mentioned, we just have confirmation on R.C. Enerson's program coming together. So he was not at the test, but everybody else able to get a rookie test or a refresher test done and out of the way. In in R.C.'s case, it'll be a, a refresher that can be done when we resume action on Tuesday, May the 16th for RC. But, you know, it's just good to kind of get through an event, give everybody a chance. They got a lot of miles turned. Uh, largely, there were no incidents, certainly no wall contact. Um, you know, just, you know, we were able to extend it 90 minutes. As we talked about on this show last week, you might want to get there a little early if if uh or get to peacock a little bit early if if you want to catch it in its entirety and we ran late to 6:30 so you know but from a time and speed report Joseph Newgarden was strong again as he was last year's open test in April same two days by the way as we mentioned uh but uh it it largely doesn't mean anything relative to the race itself cuz we're going to have a lot of track time between then and now and you don't know what people were working on but it's good to get the juices flowing it's good to remind people that May is literally now just around the corner and we'll see how this um how this shapes up here in in the next couple of weeks we'll get back to some performances and and who we think did well and who might come away a little bit concerned in a second. But you mentioned the test the exact same two days as last year and just something that always, you know, I think fans talk about this a little bit and I wonder about it as well. It, It does feel like it's the start of the month of May. And you also wonder and worry a a little bit about, well, there's still two more races. Do they get kind of shuffled off aside just a bit um you know and and frankly when we get to the gp yes it's an important event but all anybody talks about is the indy 500 would it be better from a marketing standpoint from just a flow standpoint just to put those two days at the start just add two more days of practice to the indy 500 or and i ask a few drivers and maybe an engineer or two about this is it that much more beneficial from a performance standpoint to separate these days and and have it and give yourself a chance to come back and think and really dig into the data? Well, it'd be interesting to see what kind of uh, summation you got from talking to people. The ones I've talked to over the years have thought that it's nice to kind of get to kind of get things acclimated, especially if you're a one-off team, you have a chance to to see your people in some spots, you know, what what roles and responsibilities they're going to have uh, come next month, to see what things that you've missed on. Uh, you know, largely the, the weather conditions, I mean, they have a chance to be similar to what we'll see in May, but I, I think largely they're going to be different. But I think it's just a it's kind of like a chance to just try things out. And, and I don't necessarily mean, you know, 
wing configurations and and set up things. I think it's just we're back on an oval. We haven't had many ovals uh, since last year's Indy 500. You know, let's figure out where we're going to, you know, how we're going to set up the equipment. Let's go through our checklist like we're going to do. It's like a practice day. And I say, I know we have practice days, but it's an opportunity just to kind of see how the flow works. Now, from an engineering standpoint, I mean, that's probably where, in a driving standpoint, that's probably where uh, you come in on this one and, and, and say that these competitors might feel differently. But it's a good it's a good trial run, and I think that's good to have. You know, I think I still think the GMR Grand Prix has real value for a lot of reasons, and I understand it's kind of a speed bump before we get to the Indy 500 practice. But there's no I don't know if there's an ideal scenario for this. Um, but eager to hear your thoughts. So I think from a performance standpoint, and if you look at it just from where can we get the most bang for our testing buck and really learn something, this scenario works best. Having separation between uh, not only for the drivers to get a little feel, and especially if you're a young driver, to really go over the onboards and uh, just have a chance to process things and then talk to some other people and learn and from the engineers to make the most out of what they learned, that's the best scenario. However, if you do it to start the month of May, it may not be the perfect scenario, but it's the same for everyone else. So that's not, I don't think, enough of a reason to separate it. But what does, I think, make it enough of a reason right now is the current schedule doesn't really have room for that. So if you're going to run the GP on Friday, Saturday, Sunday is Mother's Day, that's not super ideal to have everyone there. It's been done before where I think there have been years where Indy 500 practice is that day, or maybe it's on Monday and uh, the crews have to come in. But I think in the current scenario, it's good to have Sunday and Monday off. Actually give some people time off on Sunday. I'm not sure how many of them actually get the full day off. They're probably at the track getting things ready. But at least it's not a 14-hour day. Maybe it's a six-hour day, and they can still visit mom and have lunch or dinner, and then they're working hard on, on Monday. Here's where I think that could potentially change. And I wasn't going to bring this up here, but uh, it was something I kind of had on the list to get to later on, but it, it probably fits more here. And uh, this was a question someone asked. I forget the exact question, but I started talking about it in one of the short segments that you weren't with me maybe the last segment last week uh, about the future of this event and two events at Indianapolis. And my thought there was if they are able to be successful in finding more promoters that want IndyCar events, for example, if Milwaukee gets off the ground and I've heard rumors of another venue that could be happening at some point, if Argentina happens, whatever. I, I don't think Penske entertainment wants to add more than one more race. So if they found Two more really solid possibilities, I think, if everything else is good, if Laguna Seca is great, if Portland is great, if all the other current venues are in solid standing, I think one of the IMS road course events goes, and I don't think anyone involved in the sport would be super sad about that. Uh, that, that, that is there for some ways need, and I think both create unique opportunities kicking off the month of May, running with NASCAR. So my thought was, well, if one was going to go away, 
it's probably NASCAR weekend with IndyCar. Uh, in part because I don't know that IndyCar gets a ton out of that. Uh, you you really don't get a lot of cross promotion from your television partner because you're the first act. What it really becomes more, and this is not criticizing anyone, it's just the reality that you're first, so you tend to promote what's next. It doesn't do you a lot of good to promote what already happened that much. So we in the IndyCar broadcast end up promoting that NASCAR is going to be coming up next, whether it's Xfinity or Cup the next day. And I do think the Cup broadcast does a, a as good a job as they can to circling back and maybe interviewing one of the IndyCar drivers and showing a, a highlight package, but it doesn't help you grow your live audience. IndyCar can help NASCAR grow that audience, but the, the, the IndyCar race has already happened. So it does have some benefit. So that was my thought. If one's going away, so I'm, I'm li- it would be that one. Listening to Hinch and Rossi's podcast from last week, they happened to bring up the same topic, and their opinion was, uh, maybe I'm putting the words in their mouth, maybe it was only one that offered a strong opinion, but what I took from that is if one was going to go away, it's the month of May, GP, because there's still value in the NASCAR weekend because you are still introducing your sport to some people that may not consume it even from the highlight package on NASCAR or just NASCAR fans that are coming from the weekend. So in a roundabout way, that's how I'm coming back to. If that's ever decided that one's going away and that one is going to be the month of May GP, what I would propose is that you do, oh, this is how it came up. Uh, Someone uh, had a question, hey, why don't we make the first Indy 500 practice into a big event, have a concert and so forth? And that's what kind of led me down that conversation and down that path. So if that scenario is available, again, I'm spending other people's money, but I would love Indy 500 practice to go back to that Saturday. This year it would be, what, Saturday the 13th? And it is a big blowout, full 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. day, including time for rookie orientation. And you do a concert somewhere in there, maybe at the end of the day, maybe the middle of the day, and really try to make that an event. Maybe it's a two-day event. Maybe it starts in prime time at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon to add more time into it and allow you some wiggle room in case of rain. Then you still take Sunday off for Mother's Day. You still take Monday off, which gives everybody a little bit of a break. It also serves the purpose of allowing the teams to have a think engineering-wise and to allow the rookies to, to mentally download everything that's happened. So that's where I come away from that. I think that scenario is available if you are able to add two or three more events and decide one of the GP weekends wants to go away. If that does... I still think you could potentially announce your presence with authority that weekend with a bigger, bigger deal of Indy 500 practice. So I agree with you, except uh, these two points. Uh, One, I know the GP has been, at least pre-Roger Penske, has been something that they've been excited to have. Announce your presence, show the versatility of the sport, show the versatility of the drivers, show that Indianapolis Motor Speedway does more than just the Indianapolis 500. Now, that's been established. So we've had that since, what, 2013, maybe? I've kind of lost. I think so. So maybe 14. But anyway, you've had the opportunity now to do that and make that statement. 
The other point that I would make is I just don't know how Roger Penske feels about about the whole month, the way it's set up. I suspect he he likes it and and appreciates its value and would like to keep it. But to your point, if he had two more venues, what I've known from him and his comments over the years is he would be more interested in keeping the the event the number of events in a calendar year uh, to a what he would call a manageable manageable level. I mean, he has a number in his in his head that I've heard him mention on a couple different occasions. He doesn't want to see twenty or twenty one or twenty two events. You know, so he he's he likes the seventeen to eighteen area better than say 20. So if he had Argentina, if he had Milwaukee, if he had another one, for example, to, to add a couple, I think he, he would be open. I mean, Indianapolis road course would be the ones uh, that for a couple of reasons would be trimmable, if you will. Uh, one, it's just, it's a lot of work on the speedway staff. I mean, you're, you're, you're hosting a, uh, an event on the road course only to turn around and, and refocus on the Indy 500. So it is a big, it's a big ask. It can be done. We've proven that time and again, but I do think he would be open to that because again, he's more interested in, in 17 or 18 events than he is say 20 events. So let's ex- go, go I, ahead. Finish. I think, I think you're on to something. I think uh, a Friday, Saturday, on back on the oval, I think the utilization of those days, and I think the other thing is you could still utilize maybe the first weekend in May for a Barber Motorsports Park. You you know you wouldn't be quite yeah. so boxed into to we need to we need to get the a little break here in the schedule for everybody involved. Let's go back to that number because I I hear a lot of annoyance from fans that that IndyCar does not race enough, and I'm not putting words into Roger Penske's mouth on this as to why he might only want 17 or 18. But my opinion on that would be, it's not that he's opposed to 20 events. He doesn't, I suspect, feel that the teams have the budget to pay for 20 events. If the economics of the sport change, if magically there is a $150 million television contract when that comes up in a year and a half and spread around the teams, then I feel quite certain they'd be willing to add two or three more events. But he's looking at it from the perspective of the teams who, when you add three events, that is adding, I'm going to say, six hundred to $800,000 to your budget. And adding three events does not necessarily allow you to go to your partners, your sponsors, and say, oh, I need an extra $800,000. You've still got to create that somewhere, and the teams are ultimately probably going to have – the owners are going to have to make up the difference of that. I th- And I think 600 to 800 might be light, depending on where – where you're going and you know as you as you I'm sorry I'm thinking this... per car I'm thinking per car yes yes and that still might be light I guess I'm thinking about um if a young driver was trying to do a one-off yeah you're right a one-off with a lower budget team you might be able to get a one-off for 200 250,000 but I think if you're Penske doesn't do one-offs in that situation but Andretti has at times in the past, 
it's probably the starting asking price is probably closer to four or five hundred thousand. Yeah. So the point is, if you if you add three races, even two races to the to the total, it doesn't really matter where those races are. And and by the way, you know, racing twice at Indianapolis is a savings for most of the teams mm-hmm. because you're not going to Long Beach. I mean, you know, if, let's say or. You know, you're not traveling to the West Coast. The travel expenses, most of the teams are are within a, a really short drive of Indianapolis. Ironically, Team Penske being one of the exceptions. The point is that, you know, it fits in the budget at 17 or 18 races based on where we've been. And if you expanded 20 races, it's just more budget the teams have to raise. Just puts more of a strain on the overall economic health of the sport and you know, to be honest, uh, you're going to have to squeeze them in based on what we've seen from management is that going deeper into September and October, i.e. football season, while we as race fans like to think, you know, this is, you know, we could go into November. Well, you know, they're also the numbers suggest that ending the season before Ness, before football gets a real stronghold is is honestly a a pretty smart business plan, even though most of us would like to see, you know, the season continued deeper into the year. And if you're going to add more races and end the season in mid September or even late September, it gets pretty tight, pretty early, if you will. Uh, Now to the other part, if you ever did get to that juncture, which one is more valuable? And I was like what you started off with. I had been convinced that, yeah, it, it's good to start uh, with all the reasons you've talked about, including educating Indianapolis that IndyCar races do more than go in circles. Um, but maybe there is a value with being with the NASCAR weekend. I, I don't know. I'd need more information on that as to what makes the most sense out of that. But if you could tell me, that we can do because essentially you could add another event weekend. You wouldn't be losing an event weekend. You'd just be doing it on the oval instead. So that could potentially still satisfy that. So that's maybe a discussion for another day. And I hope we get to that. You know, that would be a good thing. That means that all of the current events are solid and they are able to add another one or two. So that's just something to kind of put on the back burner as we move forward. So I got off on a tangent. Let's go back to what we think we might have learned. And one of the big things, and this is how I opened up the Peacock broadcast when they said, hey, what do you want to talk about uh, after the booth does something? And I said, well, I think we need to talk about Team Penske. I think that's what everyone, I think that's the biggest unknown going into this year's 500, last year's 500, two years ago's 500. I didn't think it was an unknown because I just assumed they would be better. But they've had three years in a row where they've been mediocre and, and less than Penske standards. Joseph Newgarden did remind me that they actually were a little bit better on pace last year, but he drew a heat of the day qualifying attempt. And had he gone out and got a better draw in the first hour, he thinks he would have been in the top you know, eight or nine or something like that. But he didn't. So he started whatever it was, 13th. So here was the the stat I used over the last three years. The average finish is 15.8 for Team Penske with all championship drivers and two of the three. And when they had four, three of the four 
no, I guess at this point now it's one of the three are Indy 500 winners, but the others, when they had Simon and, and Elio, they were Indy 500 winners. Um, before, in, in that stretch, I think they've only had one that's qualified inside the top 10. It's just not been good. So up to their standards. They were strong in this test, but Joseph and Scott both said, yeah, we were strong in last year's test too. I think they're being genuine when they feel like they've figured it out. We'll find out in May, but I think that's one of the things that I've learned. I'm convinced, or uh, what's the word? Convinced, I guess, is the word. Doesn't mean I know, but I have been convinced that they have made significant improvement and they will be a real player in qualifying this year. Okay. I I would grant you that. I have that same suspicion or hunch or or thought as well. Having said that, Chip Ganassi Racing, which was the class of the field last year, is stronger. It added Sato to a list of of lineup that Scott Dixon is a former winner. Marcus Erickson is a former winner. And Alex Pelot hasn't won, but I think you could argue he's been race-winning worthy. He, yes, finished, he, has. he finished second to Elio two years ago, and and last year uh, really came from all the way in the back and and just ran out of time given his uh, his you know difficulty with getting to pit road, running out of fuel. So you know he 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 and Dixon qualified one two. So anyway, the Dixon Pelot. Erickson Sato grouping is going to be outstanding. I don't think there's any question about that. Dixon's going to go for his third straight pole, which has never happened here. Arrow McLaren is stronger than it was last year by adding to an already good program by adding Rossi and TK. And you they know, finished they, second in the race. Yeah. <laughs> and they're stronger. Yeah. You're, they finished. Yeah. They got the they got the drivers to finish second, third, fourth, and fifth in last year's race. Mm-hmm. And you figure at least one of the Andretti cars and probably one of the Ed Carpenter cars are going to be in the mix. So when you start to, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody that, that would be in contention. The point of it is everybody's better than they were this time last year, or at least a little bit stronger. And as, assuming nothing goes away for those teams, they're going to be factors. So team Penske is going to have to make a, make a sizable jump in my opinion because you know they, they didn't really get a call last year they were not really factors at any point in that race and you know the, the competition when we say it's stiff it really is that's a, a fantastic point and the andretti is the next point well you know ganassi may be even a little bit better i think andretti might be back as well um every driver on their team that i talk to so i judge it somewhat by the on-air interviews but i judge it more by what's the conversation like before we go on the air or what's the vibe like before we go on the air and there are some if you would have just watched our on-air interview you'd have thought uh yeah everything's fine it's not all fine for everybody There, there are some that are really concerned i will just say this they don't drive an Andretti car. Those cars all, th- those drivers all seemed really happy at this point. So that's an extra one. I did not talk to Connor 
or I didn't talk to any of the uh, ECR drivers after things got through. Connor ended up second quick. Um, you know, that sometimes that's because of a toe. It can be circumstances. So I cannot say either way, whether they are as strong as they normally are or if that just happened to be a good lap. But history tells us the Ed Carpenter cars are going to be fine, right? Renus has been up front every year. Connor is not did not qualify well last year, but raced really well, has been fast before. Ed is always fast. I think they're fine. You put them in that mix as well. Uh, the Dreyer and Reinbold cars look really strong. Stefan Wilson was P3 for a little while. I think, did he end up sixth? Ryan Hunter Ray was, you know, 10, 12, something like that most of the time. I'm not going to say that they're pole contenders, but they look really solid. Who else am I thinking about at this point? I, I didn't get a real good. I'm not sure that the Meyer Shank cars felt awesome, that they felt like they were great. And this kind of goes to the conversation we can have all season long that I've been asking, and I'm not really getting definitive answers on, well, wait a minute, the the Andretti cars have been great. You guys, your engineer is an Andretti employee. You share development with them. Why aren't these cars also great? And it's, there's no answer. There's no answer at this point. So just because the Andretti cars are great does not mean that the Meyer Shank cars, if history is telling us anything, are going to be great. Are you willing to rule out Elio Castroneves? At the Indy 500, I'm not. Well, I'm I'm not at this point. After one day, now if it's, but well, here's the thing: he just needs a pretty good car, and it would probably take two or three big contenders having bad luck. But th- there would, t- in my mind, there's always going to be a circumstance, and I would put Simon in that boat too, because Simon is exceptionally intelligent when it comes to doing what it takes to win at that place so it's it's too early but i do have a fear that they may not be quite as strong as but boy they have the experience if if andretti has it i'm doing everything that they're doing because they have the two strongest drivers in that camp at that place now five years from now we may think differently about kyle kirkwood but he cannot be what Simon and Elio are at this point. Grosjean cannot be what Simon and Elio are at this point. Agreed. Agreed. But they might be quicker. <laughs> they might be quicker at this with, with, with the package that they have. On the other side of things, I'm still concerned about Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I don't know. I've, I've asked it a few different people. You know, I'm hoping that extra day of testing with Lungard and Catherine Legg got you somewhere. Um, no one is saying no, but no one is saying, yeah, we had a massive breakthrough at, at this point. And I'm not just judging that because of where they are in the, the time charge, but it's again, kind of looking at the body language from the drivers and, uh, this helps them that they have time, that it's not practicing opening up on Monday, Tuesday and going on. They need two or three weeks to really dig into the numbers and see what they can come up with. But that is kind of the one that stands out. And the other one is, and I did not get a chance. I was down at the other end at the end. I don't know where they came out. What would have happened if we had a second day of testing with who goes Hollinger? So Callum Eilat was, it wasn't the driver. I don't think was spooked. 
He's done this enough. He, he ran the race last year. He was decent in practice, and the car wouldn't go straight. Something was wrong with the car, and they were making a lot of changes and came back out again at the end of the day, and he did like one lap and pulled in. So that tells me the car was still evil. He couldn't hold it straight. He couldn't go more than 207 miles per hour. The other car was fine. Augustine Canapino, with less experience, was fine. So I don't know where they ended up, but I suspect options on the table were we got to change chassis. And and they would have probably missed that second day anyway. So it was it was raining and I didn't I knew we weren't going to be on the air, so I didn't dig into that. But I'll ask about that this weekend of where they ended up. You know, we and I mentioned uh I mentioned Aaron McLaren, but I think Felix Rosenquist is going to be better this year than he was even last year, and he finished fourth last year. And the other car that you would expect to race well, Graham usually races well, obviously, at Indy. But the Mm -hmm. other car we haven't mentioned that we expect has a pretty good shot to get up there and play in the top 15. Well, two cars. Uh, David Malukas would be one. But the the one I was thinking of is Santino Ferrucci in that Foyt car. I, I he he could be up there playing in that top half of the field, and it wouldn't surprise you. It would not. No, it would not. And they are traditionally pretty good at Indianapolis. That's their best track where they put a lot of emphasis on. And they were running the road course cars. So, you know, what they come back with in May is going to be a little smoother, meaning, you know, it's not going to have the drag mm-hmm. uh, that those – cars in road course that that were changed over from road course cars just because you don't want to take any chance of crashing your baby the one that you've been preparing for the indy 500 that was kind of mixed some would run their indy 500 cars some were not so that's a little bit of what we think we might know uh from a full day of testing and what eight hours or so on track i'm not sure how much was more was going to get done in day two, some teams, I think, were probably down to one set of tires. I think most probably had about three. So, unfortunately, there would have been a little bit of sitting. So, it it, it was fine. They got enough in, or most did. And then we'll come back and get started after two more races. And we'll start talking about those coming up, starting with Barber Motorsports Park this Sunday afternoon. We'll get to that and much more all coming up. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Coming up, we get to what's coming up this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park. But as soon as we went to break, I thought about something from our last conversation. I'll bring up one more time about if it ever gets to the point, either or debating if you are able to chop off a road course race at Indianapolis, which would you choose? And I should have been looking at it more selfishly. Um, One thing about the May race, Kurt, is that it's good for your ladder system. It's good for Indy next. It is. That it'd be a big gap in the schedule if they could not race at all in May and could not, you know, it's, I, I get why the Freedom 100 isn't going, uh, and that can be debated, but but I get the arguments for that. But if you took another race in May out of Indianapolis away, that becomes a little bit more challenging. Now, they have added Indy next to the, the Brickyard weekend to run with NASCAR, and with IndyCar, which is great. It's not a doubleheader this year in May on the road course weekend. So it's a single event then and a single event in August. But here's a secondary thought, which is, again, why I should have been looking selfishly. Uh, the 
series or grouping formerly known as the Road to Indy, the USF Pro Championships, if they don't get to race in May at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I think you will see a significant reduction in American drivers. And I'll just say this, my driver would not be in this series if he was not racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We would take whatever, our whole program, so so the wealthy families that, and there aren't as many as you think that are just blank writing a check. Most are still leveraging, or at least some, are leveraging the companies that they own and the people they do business with still in entertaining guests. And it's important where they race. And it's already going the wrong direction where, you know, I think they race in one American city this year uh, on the schedule, St. Petersburg. They don't race in Birmingham anymore. Toronto is not an American city. And then the other venues, generally speaking, are not close to other corporations, meaning chances are less likely that you can activate or people can easily fly into an airport and so forth. So I think now that's not going to be anywhere close to top of the consideration, but maybe it should be like point number nine or 10 of why that matters, because I think it would be tough for anyone that's actually trying to find legitimate partners and raise money if they are not racing in Indianapolis. That is the key to our program. And if that race didn't exist, Jackson would either be racing in FR Americas where it's cheaper um, just simply it's about raising the money or we'd move to sports cars uh, because you can do it for the same kind of budget. And I could still bring in guests to IndyCar weekends. They just wouldn't see Jackson's car uh, on the track with IndyCar. So just sign up a, a side project with that. So with that, my vote is full on month of May. And, and I think it matters for Indy next too, which is a Penske entertainment property uh, would be, it would be important as part of that conversation. All right. This weekend, the event at Barber Motorsports Park is labeled the Children's of Alabama Indy Grand Prix, along with the Children's of Alabama Hospital. So they're doing some good things in conjunction with the event. And Medical Properties Trust is uh, sponsoring the entitlement of the race. Green Flag is at 3.30 Eastern. We'll be on there at 3 o'clock Eastern on NBC. And IndyCar Radio either on at 3. Sometimes they come on even earlier than us. So check your local listings for that here at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, what are we expecting this weekend from past results? Well, keep in mind that this is a three-day event. I mean, it, and I know we've had three-day events at Long Beach and St. Pete, but it is important just kind of remember that, because uh, sometimes we have two-day events, but this is back to three days, and the IndyCars will be on track Friday afternoon, 340 Eastern time with with Peacock coverage and then the second practice at noon on Saturday and then qualifying at three on Saturday with a Sunday morning warm up. Actually, warm up is at noon Eastern, but but uh, 11 local time, but 90 laps. And you've got, a you know, what, six drivers that have won their Pato Award won last year, beat Alex Pillow, who was the winner in 2021. And the other thing you should know is Joseph Newgarden is a three-time winner there. Will Power has won twice, but that was some time ago, 2011 and 2012. So I think I think the conversation at this event really hinges on Pato Award and Alex Pillow. They were kind of the two the two big drivers in last year's race, although you wouldn't count out 
uh, Joseph Newgarden either. Renus VK led a lot of laps last year. He qualified on the pole. That's the second pole of his career and has raced well there in the past. So it, it gives you some diversity, an Aero McLaren car, a Ganassi car. We're talking about Team Penske as always and, you know, Ed Carpenter racing. It would be a really important bounce back, if you will, for Renus VK and Ed Carpenter racing, which quite honestly has not had a very good start to the season uh, they're obviously looking very forward to Indianapolis where the, you know, Renus VK has won a race uh, where their cars have been good in the Indy 500. So they they really need the next three races or the next six weeks, four or five weeks, whatever the schedule uh, turns out to be. They, they need something good to happen. And I think that'll be a kind of set them up either for success or a very difficult second half to the season, if you will, if if this doesn't go well over the next three events. But Renus VK ran well last year, led a race high 57 laps, and he'll be one of the guys that, that you'll want to keep an eye on. Remember, this is a place where, you know, many of these years, most of these years, the winners come from the first two or three starting positions. So, you know, it hasn't always been the the pole winner win the race, but you need, uh, and then this is the case, obviously, a lot of places, but you need to qualify well at Barber. There are passing opportunities, but if you have to come from very far back, it's a it's a difficult place to come from very far back. The wild card in the deal could be we we could be looking at some weather come come Saturday or Sunday. And when you have wet weather on qualifying or race day, that really mixes up the field in IndyCar. So they've done some things. If, if it does rain, we'll get a little look at what IndyCar has done to try to improve visibility. We remember how there wasn't much visibility in the rain race at Indianapolis on the road course last year. So I know they have some things to try to help with that and though we, we will get into those in the broadcast this weekend but it's a a mandatory piece that would be added uh when you talk about ed carpenter racing I, i'm sure they are they've been waiting for this because they've been good here and hoping because so far in the street races it has not gone well and it wasn't even super good at texas motor speedway so yes they need something and renas vk wasn't just strong last year he should have won the race and he will admit that he a little bit gave that one away. If you remember, after the uh, second pit stop, he forgot to use push to pass on the outlap, and Pato Award did, and Pato got by him on his outlap. So that's something that you always hear on the radio is when you are racing someone uh, on an outlap, you're using overtake going into turn five, and he was, you know, I'm sure he's, readjusting fuel and he's thinking about what he's doing to get back in a rhythm and just forgot. So that was on him. Uh, maybe, maybe he gets passed anyways, but would have had an opportunity there. I'm really watching to see where Andretti is at. Uh, this is one. If Andretti is really back to being one of the big three, four, they could be four. I mean, I, I don't see any way that Errol McLaren is not one of the big teams at this point with Penske and Ganassi. And by big teams, I just mean one of the result-producing teams. Let's forget about budgets. Let's talk about results. And the teams that win races are Penske and Ganassi, and I think it's becoming more, even though they have not gotten it done this year, uh, Arrow McLaren, 
And is Andretti back there? By the way, we've had three different teams win three races. That's really cool, along with three drivers win races and, and three different drivers win the pole. But uh, that's one to look up. When's the last time four different teams won the first four races? I admit I do not know the answer to that one. But if Andretti is strong here, then I would say game on, because I, I feel they'll be strong at Indianapolis. We already know they're great on the street races. They were pretty good on street races uh, Probably more than pretty good on street races last year. So road courses would be a, a, a little bit of a more of a question mark. Uh, Strategy-wise, you have two and three stops. I think this one can be interesting. And you have to hope the caution doesn't come at the right time, wrong time, whatever. You can do it on two stops. You just have to get to around 30, and that's about the fuel limit. Uh, and and then it's a 90-lap race, so you're just splitting it into thirds. And several looked last year like they might be able to make the early stop work, but then you needed, needed to stay green in the middle of the race. And what ruined that for several last year was a yellow came out, was it somewhere like lap? 32. Just after. 32. 32. So, so just after the two stoppers had come in, and that was late enough. It had been 18 laps or so since the two, the three stoppers had pitted. You know, if they stay out, they still got to come in another seven or eight laps. So that means they come in and then they're on just a, a totally different strategy. One, two. Yeah, it still ended up being a three stopper, but that ruined their chance to gap the field and it just bunched everything up. So just hope that a yellow doesn't come out at the wrong time for that to be a strategy because I think that helps add to some overtaking. Um, what else from this event? Shorter pit boxes I learned today because there are 27 cars, still decent size, 38 feet, which is like three feet big, bigger than places like Mid-Ohio and Toronto. Um, but I, I think it should be good. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, this is, this is one of the better um, places to visit. You know, it's such a beautiful area. If you haven't been there, it's uh, it really does feel like a park. You know, it feels like, and we've often talked about this, but in the springtime, especially deep in the springtime, as this is, feels like you know what the, what what Augusta might feel like on a on a lesser scale. It's kind of that that beautiful part of the country, rolling hills, and some great places to sit on the mounds. So it's a really great place to attend. And I think it's gotten better consistently over the years. You know, it has never really had a bad race, to my knowledge. And it's had better racing than any of us would have predicted the first time around. So you've got uh, different teams involved in, in winning races. You've got, uh, you know, some surprises that come up. And I guess the greatest surprise in this whole history of Barber Motorsports Park is for as strong as Scott Dixon has been, Yep, and reaching the podium nine times he's been on the podium in twelve races and he's never won the race. Finished finished second the first four years, and then was third the next two. Uh, so you know six straight years of being being on the podium but can't win the race. You know that's it's pretty amazing he hadn't won at least once at Barber Motorsports Park. Chad 200 had some stats on Twitter today. He's made the Firestone Fast 6, 11 of the 12 races, but never started on the front row. That's right. Three, fourth or fifth, 10 times. He's the only driver to complete every lap in the 12 previous IndyCar tracks. He's won at 25 
uh, and it, uh, the 12 previous races there. And he's won 25 different tracks, but never there. Is this the year for Scott Dixon? All right, we'll get into some uh, other nuggets and get you set for hour number two coming up in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Simon Pagano, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment for this hour. You know how in uh, radio, television, you always have a tease about what's going to be coming up. I did one of those last week, mentioned I'll talk about some things I read about the Nashville IndyCar race. And I forgot. So I guess it's still a tease. It just took me a week to get to it. But here's what it was from a week or so ago, a little more than that, from an outlet on the Internet called The Sports Credential that had quotes from uh, Jason Rittenberry, uh, who's I don't have the title next to it, but he's, he's the guy in charge of the Music City Grand Prix. And one of the things we've been wondering about is, hey, what happens if and when? They uh, build a new football stadium right next to the current Titans football stadium and don't tear down the current Titans football stadium until the new one is built. Uh, The new stadium would go right where the racetrack and the paddock is. Uh, So I think this is encouraging. And, uh, and, And we thought there'd be a plan, but Jason Rittenberry is quoted as saying, we're in the process of signing a three year extension with IndyCar and the city. So the race isn't going anywhere. We will be here. We will be in downtown Nashville. We'll be racing on the streets. What that course design looks like, I can't tell you beyond 2023. Uh, so there you go. Because one of the theories that you know people like me floated out, well, maybe they could run at the Super Speedway. Uh, or there's, I think, another track being built in Tennessee or maybe is already built. Uh, but it's a different race. It, it needs to be downtown. So maybe the course is... Not what it is, but it sounds like there at least is a plan. And by the way, there's, uh, I would think, a decent chance that nothing needs to change for 2024 either. It takes a while. And I don't know if it's 100% done that they're building a, a new stadium. It's close, but I don't believe a date has been picked yet. So uh, we'll see on that, but that's promising news. All right, here's another tease. What's coming up in the next hour? We'll talk about another IndyCar event. There were some conversations this week, and we learned some things about uh, Long Beach and ownership stake, some of it being for sale. Another IndyCar for sale rumor is out there. We'll have comments on that coming up and uh, some details on 100 days to Indy. That's on the way on Thursday. Stay with us. It's Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Tony Canan and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Still a lot to get to on the program tonight. Uh, before we get back to Uh, racing activity we should talk about something that's uh, been discussed for several months now and everyone's finally going to get get a chance to see it 100 days to indie debuts on thursday nights on the cw that's wish tv in indianapolis check your local listings nine o'clock thursday night i believe is that right when it airs live that's right that's right and so it'll be we'll interesting, chance, interesting have to see you had that a much. chance to watch yet i have not i've i've actually kind of wanted to see it kind of in real time and follow social media as we go when I watch it and, you know, just see what people's reactions are. So I kind of wanted to be, be real time. Uh, as I mentioned last week on the show, I watched it uh, with, with the group at long beach and it got very positive reviews. And what I said last week, you know, I will admit I had a concern 
Well, first of all, I would have been okay with it if we all did not love it because it's not meant for us. It's not meant for hardcore indie car fans. It, it, ideally, it is. But part of the purpose of this is to introduce the sport to newbies, to people who are not watching indie car races and listening to this radio show and get them interested. So if you have to dumb it down a little bit, if you have to, uh, I, I was really hoping that they are not making up storylines and uh, using the editing process to have people say things they didn't really mean to say. Um, but that happens. That's that's what happens in reality television. The really successful ones many times from, from what I understand. So I will say this. None of that is the case. It is something that I think our hardcore fans will enjoy. Uh, are you going to learn a ton? Maybe, maybe not. But I think you'll you'll get to know some things you didn't know about some of the, the characters. And you won't feel like this is a waste of my time because they're just dumbing it down. So it's not that at all. And I think it's also serving the purpose of doing what Full Swing, the golf show does, is giving you a reason to to want to like some of these characters. And by characters, I mean the racing drivers, because that's the key. If you, It's a television show, essentially. We like to joke that the NFL is a television show about quarterbacks, and this is a television show about racing drivers. So if you can make them in some ways likable, and, and people have debated whether we want to really get into the rivalries, and I don't know whether, and hate, and I don't know if that's the right answer or not, because that might defeat the purpose for some of your drivers if they are hateable rather than likable. In some ways, you just want them to be likable. But I, I think and hope people are going to enjoy it. Luckily, there's not much of me on it, which I'm good with, because my biggest fear was I said something I didn't mean to say, and then I've got to dig myself out of a hole. So, so far, I am one for one and have not angered anyone. Yeah, keep in mind, you've only seen one episode, so there are still five Correct. more to come. And we'll see how those develop. Yeah, I'm excited, too. Um, I expect that, you know, I'll be entertained, educated, you know, brought up to speed on some rivalries. I don't know about that, but we'll we'll see what I learn. But I think it'll be entertaining. Uh, Mitchell Campbell, Cam Soup FL. Why did they put the 100 days till Indy up against the NFL draft next week? It'll be all about how low the ratings are. Grr. You know, I don't know that you want to judge this on ratings. On the CW, I, I don't think it's going to get fantastic ratings. The idea is to expose it to some new people. And you're right, up against the NFL, first round of the draft, which is now prime time, which probably starts at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. Starts at 8. S starts at 8, even worse. I was hoping it started at 7 o'clock, and at least by that time would be in the mid-teens and lost some of the casual viewers. So um, you're always going to have competition, especially on a weeknight. That's just the way it is. Now, if if I'm the viewer, it really doesn't matter. I'm still going to watch what I want to watch because I watch everything via DVR, especially if it's not a live sporting event. Nothing that they are presenting at 9 o'clock on Thursday night is going to change when I find time to watch it in my case, it will be Monday morning when I get back home or 1030 or Friday morning. But but I hear what you're saying. You know, most people are not as neurotic as me, and they tend to just look at the TV screen and see what's on right now. 
and watch that. Um, but DVR is king, and there's also going to be, if you don't get CW, and I'll admit I have not found it on YouTube TV yet, I don't think I get Wish TV on YouTube TV locally. If someone has YouTube TV and it's there, let me know. Maybe I've, maybe I just need to unlock that somewhere. But I would say stay tuned to IndyCar social media because I believe my understanding is it is available on demand from Vice a few days after the original airing. For some reason, I think I remember seeing something like May 1st. So if you cannot get the CW in your market, Check IndyCar Twitter or look at IndyCar.com, and I would bet they will tell you how you can download it by the beginning of next week. Well, and to your point about DVRs, you know, most of us, or many of us at least, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but most of us watch series in sort of a bang, bang, bang type of situation. We get we get on Yellowstone or we get on whatever the, the hot program is. And we'll watch four or five episodes, you know, in a very short period of time. So I think this will be how this is consumed. It'll be available in a streaming service, I'm sure. And and you'll be able to watch it that way. And I believe if you watch it within a certain amount of time on your DVR, it, it can still count on the ratings. You can't watch it a week later. You know, and it may that that's why they always say the overnights are not the finals, because then it would add in people who watched a couple of days later. But if you watch it within 24, 48 hours, something like that, and you happen to be rated by Nielsen, I still don't get it. I have to believe Google knows exactly how many people are watching every single program on YouTube TV and some of the other streaming services. But in that case, it should count. Uh, also, some things to look forward to coming up soon. So you and I both participated, I believe you did, in voting for the top 10 Indy 500s of all time. I'm told you did not follow the rules and list 10. You did more than 10 Indy 500s. Well, I, I thought it was confusing how it was set up. So, <laughs> be, well, here's it's they been had noted. It, they had it based on categories. Uh -huh. And one of the categories, for example, was what was the most historical, you know, how, how would you rate races in terms of historical impact? So I went to a few races that had 1936. Had a lot of historical impact. 2016 had a lot of historical impact. I wouldn't say 2016 though. If you were looking at the category best best racing, I'm not sure 2016 was the year. So anyway, I didn't. Uh, okay, I didn't. I didn't understand the the concept, but we got to the right point. Okay, so well, I don't know how they if they probably. I don't know how they did yours. Did you? Well, we just redid it. I just redid it. Okay, so the uh, I'm trying to find my original. So there were you you picked your best ten Indy five hundreds, and by the way, it was really really hard to whittle it down to ten. I got it to about fifteen, so I, I see where you're coming from, and didn't feel real good about it. So I was going back and watching a lot of YouTube recaps, trying to recall what else happened. If it was just memorable moment from the race, that's easy. Well, not easy, but it's easier. You're thinking, you know, 1982, you remember the final 15 laps with Mears closing on John Cock and the finish. We remember the finish to 92. We remember the finish to two, two, on and on and on. So the different win. Yes, exactly. But the different categories were, and essentially it's you pick a race and then you are ranking from one to 20, uh, 
20 being it could not be any more awesome in that category. Different categories. Racing, how good was the actual racing? Memorable moments. Strength of the field competition. Historical impact. So as you said, there are some you might say, eh, it's only like a 13 out of 20, or maybe it's a 5 out of 20 historical impact. And then spectacle, which is a little bit vague as well. But, you know, for example, you threw out 2016, I would think you'd rank that a 20 as far as spectacle because it was a full sellout for the first time in many, many years. It was 100th running. You had the Marvin Wasp on track and yada, yada, yada. So I I went through, and I'm not going to mention what it is. Maybe we'll do that later down the road at some point. But the point of this, and it's going to be available via NBCSports.com. They asked quite a few different people to just try to put together a list, not in any particular order, but then when you did the scoring, you ultimately do have an order. So we'll see what some come out, and maybe in May on one of those shows, we'll kind of talk about how we we came to that. But I think they're going to do two of them coming up, uh, number 10 and number nine will be released on Friday. And it's just a, it's an exercise for debate. And anytime you have a list uh, and I, I, I did ask, are they going to put our names to this? And they said, no. And I said, good, <laughs> because I don't want to be called a moron by everyone, but I'll probably eventually tell you what I came up with and we'll kind of see what I missed and what I got right. Yeah. I think, I think generally we'll all come and this is how, most lists are we can all come up with seven of the ten i'm just throwing that number out there and then it's the other three you know that that get to be up for debate it's kind of like that when we choose all-star teams everybody can get yeah the core of them uh so it was an interesting process i thought it was as i mentioned it was difficult to separate some of those categories which is why my first time through i ranked the 10 most memorable moments races and then i ranked the 10 most historical races and then the 10 most you know uh, best racing because you know mm-hmm. 20 2013 2012 well, great the racing. fact is those are all in recent year almost all in recent years the That's racing right. was how we judge racing now a race in 1937 isn't going to compare a race in 1977 isn't going to compare that's right by current so standards. It's it's a difficult, you know, it's still difficult to judge eras and, you know, memorable moments, I think, are, is an easier way to do it. But, you know, we look at, at 92, for example, that would have gone down as one of the worst races for yeah. a lot of reasons. It was cold. It was uh, dominated by one driver and you had injuries. And then, you know, the I shootout. I didn't include it. Yeah, then the shootout happens, and it's a great race, or at least a yeah. memorable race. But it was not a great race up until that point. And and the reason I didn't include it, because if you start doing those scoring systems, it would have been well below, because the only thing it would have gotten 24 are memorable moments. That's right. And the others would have been very low. So when I was in the whittling process, that one got whittled out, even though it's one of the top could be number one, but it's one of the top five most memorable finishes we've ever had. Yep, yep. There's there's no question about that. You know, you go just about anywhere and and you see that finish and and the drama that went with it with Michael and Michael Andretti and you know there was there was a lot of the things whole, in there, but yeah. it was cold and there were people that got hurt and so therefore not a great race in my opinion. 
Uh, some other nuggets I want to get into. So with the test at IMS last week, at one point after Kyle Larson was announced for next year's 500, there was some speculation, hey, might they get him in a car? Might he even be at the open test? Obviously, I think we knew ahead of time this wasn't happening, and now we know it wasn't. So Nate Ryan of NBCSports.com wrote something last week that Kyle does plan to be at IMS some for Indy 500 practice, and though he won't be driving – He'll uh, be there to to kind of view things at Talladega this week. He said, I don't know of other plans outside of that yet, but at least having the seat insert ready. So he, he did a seat fit recently with Errol McLaren outside of having the seat insert ready to go and all that. If something does come up for a test, he said in response to a question from NBC Sports, Dustin Long. So I'm excited about that. It's exciting. And I look forward to hopefully learning as much as I can over the next couple of months, but then even past that. I do not know what the plans are to get him in a car, but as we've said before, to do this right, it will be uh, very beneficial if it's not next April. I think I think the most likely spot would be in October, and we've done that the last mm-hmm. couple of years, had a session, uh, whether it was a test of the manufacturers, but we let the rookies run to get their ROP done. So we've seen that, you know, we had a day – you know, with Jimmy Johnson and Roman Grosjean, I mean, I think that's the more likely scenario. It's difficult for IndyCar to be doing it in the middle of summer with all the races and the things going on at the Speedway. The Speedway, by the way, is a very active facility, and there are a lot of things that happen here through the course of the summer. So it's not like the track is just always available for oval practice. He'll be here in August, but it will be on the road course. Nope. They could change it back. Um, that takes, I think, ideally, they'd probably like to have two, three days. Seems unlikely. To do, Seems to do unlikely. it in a day is a full-on effort, and that's a lot of expense and effort for one. To, although this would be one that would get a lot of attention. Uh, I would think they'd – I don't know. Will they make a big deal of this? Will they let – People come in and watch, make a television show out of it, like we did Fernando Alonso. Uh, or, you know, if I'm the driver, I would prefer to have no one other than team personnel watching. I, I think it'll be. I, I just don't see making a special exception to do that just for him. It's on McLaren, that. though. <laughs> McLaren is okay with publicity. They might. No, no, no. I don't mean. I don't mean broadcasting it. I just mean in terms of going to the trouble the day after the NASCAR race. He can fly in on any day to do this. I yeah. think it I think it fits in October uh, like they've done in the past. Makes sense. Uh, all right, some other nuggets here. Long Beach. Uh, there are every few years something comes up about that, whether Formula One wants back in, contract up. Uh, Racer.com wrote this past week that following the death of former IndyCar team owner Kevin Kalkoven, one of his significant racing assets has been presented for sale by his estate. So Kevin Kalkoven had a 50% stake along with Jerry Forsyth in the Long Beach Grand Prix. Racer writes that they understand a meeting with interested, interested parties was held at the Long Beach race, which also serves the second most popular event, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the rumored sale price of $15 million in 05, Kalkoven and Forsyth split the cost, and its value has only risen in the years since the acquisition was made. Um, Kalkoven and Forsyth rejected advances from other parties like Formula One, but with Kalkoven's loss, 
gaining control of his half of the business, is said to have drawn considerable interest from existing racing promoters and racing series alike. The NTT IndyCar series is among the rumored parties, which Penske Corp. President Bud Denker addressed, quote, from the current events we have on the docket right now, it's not on it. As we look at new events in the future, will it be that we're involved in the promotions or operations either or could be what we have here with Long Beach, Jim McCallion and Jerry Forsythe obviously have their hands on this one. It's not our intention to come in and manage these kinds of events. The value of Calcove and share in the event is expected to far exceed what he paid for it. Well, so when that when that is written, people are going to say, well, is Formula One going to come in? Is is Liberty going to come in and try to purchase this and would Penske Entertainment need to purchase it to block them? It, I think that's a reasonable connecting of the dots. What I hear from Bud Dinker is he isn't saying we're not going to invest in it to co-own it. He's saying we're not going to manage it. We're not going to get in the middle of, of being the promoter. Now, you know, they, they have somebody that does that pretty well, by the way. Yeah, they're pretty good <laughs> at that. I mean, so yeah. Cal Coven wasn't you know, day to day with a Grand Prix of Long Beach. So anyway, I that's not I hear from Bud Denker, we're not gonna manage it, but he didn't say we weren't gonna co own it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think ideally you're okay with the current arrangement, but if you need to do something else to protect that event, you probably would. And I'm sure there is wonderment is formula one going to come in i i still don't see how that can possibly work they would have to they would have to raise the raise i mean flatten they'd have to bulldoze the entire area and build from anew that facility serves the purpose fantastically for indycar but it doesn't work for a formula one event in many many ways now, Formula One has a lot more money, and and with money, you can do a lot of different things, so you can never say never. But it's not simple. I don't. If Formula One really wants to be in L.A., they would be better served to go find another piece of land somewhere else. It would not have the history that Long Beach would have, so maybe that's part of the thinking. I have to believe they're considering it. I just don't think when they get there and look at it, they figure out how it can all work. The infrastructure there is is very much taken, if you will. I mean, there's a convention center, there's a an arena, there's the restaurants and hotels. It's not it's not a an easy thing to do. No. Obviously, obviously Vegas has its own restrictions as well, but there's a different situation in Vegas compared to Long Beach. And I think one of the reasons it works and it's been around for basically 50 years is because the local community is a part of that event and they get to participate in the event. They get to attend the event. If it becomes a Formula One event with how much money it would cost, it's no longer a local community event because everyone's outpriced. That's right. It is simply it is simply a upper tier hospitality event. It's for corporations and you need the local community supporting an event. And if they're not on board and if they don't find value, and if it doesn't help the citizens of Long Beach, um, you know, maybe there's a big enough check that can be written to assuade everyone of that. But uh, I, I feel good about IndyCar's future there. I'm not super concerned about that. The problem with what you just described, though, is 
the excitement over Formula One would be there initially. And then once the realization came into play that you you were outpriced as a local community, mm-hmm. it'd be a dissatisfaction one or two years in. It wouldn't be a dissatisfaction up front. And that's that would be too late at that point. And then it becomes an IndyCar event again. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to leave. I I also, by the way, I think three is probably about a sweet spot. Could they add another one? They could. I I hear that now Miami is still going to go great, but there's not quite as much demand now that there is also a Vegas race. So they, they might want to just continue to limit these a little bit and make the demand super, super difficult. Now, how about this one? Uh, PlanetF1.com, and I'll go ahead and address this because I think it's good for chuckles, and then we actually have an on-the-record response. PlanetF1.com wrote, I guess it was yesterday. F1 commentator and analyst Peter Windsor. I guess he's a. I guess he's still an F1 commentator, but he was on the American broadcast as the pit reporter for Speed and some other outlets, doing what Will Buxton did for NBC. He he did that back in the day, in the I guess it'd be the two thousands. He also was one of the people trying to launch the USF one team that did not come through fruition. And and the story was he has revealed that Liberty's next step to conquer America could see a move to purchase IndyCar outright. Speaking via his YouTube channel, Windsor speculated. So that's why I want to get into this revealed or speculated. Speculated is the better word. This is a guy like me. um, Now, probably a smarter guy than me and a guy that's been around longer. But this is As I've always said, it's a radio show. We throw things against the wall. I hope my wild ideas are not printed on the likes of planetf1.com because they're oftentimes not sourced. They're just ideas. And in my opinion, this was Peter Windsor throwing out some ideas. He speculated that a potential takeover could see the IndyCar calendar move away from oval circuits in favor of more purpose-built and street-based venues with the design of the cars brought more in line with F1 machinery. He said, one of the things Liberty are looking at at the moment, and this is quite a good idea, is buying IndyCar to make it effectively an American feeder series for F1. How they would do that, I don't know. Maybe get rid of some of the ovals and make it more road coursey. Maybe make the cars a little bit more F1-like, like like carbon brakes or whatever. Note. They have carbon brakes, I believe. (laughs) Whatever. Don't let the story get out in the way here. Uh, And he says, maybe that's why Zach Brown is there. I don't know. That's not a completely stupid idea. End quote. Um, Now, it's possible Liberty is interested in in buying IndyCar, but they need to be IndyCar needs to be willing to sell IndyCar. And that's a different debate, whether that would be good or not to call it a full on development series. I don't think that's going to be received very well. Bottom line on this, I wasn't super worried about this either, in part because I've been told it's not for sale. I, I would be surprised. Now, all that said, nothing is for sale until someone gets overwhelmed. Everyone has the right to to find the right number, but I would just be really surprised. And and I, I've received messages in the last few months that, hey, rumors are that uh, IndyCar is for sale or IMS is for sale. You know, my response is, Yeah, those rumors have been going since, what, 1978, since after Tony Holman passed away. And there was a day at the end of 2019 when that was true, and we were all surprised by it. So could it happen again? I suppose it would. 
But Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com got Bud Denker on the record um, because he had been getting, I'm sure, some of the same messages even before this story came out. And Denker told Racer, there's no truth to any of that. There's been no discussion. And frankly, we wouldn't sell it being the stewards of the Indy 500, being stewards of the IndyCar series go hand in hand. Well, keep in mind, it's the same thing that Tony George always said. You know, if you lose control of the IndyCar series and the IndyCar series becomes something like they decide to race with Volkswagens, then the Indy 500 has Volkswagens or you better find some more cars to run. You need the two connected in order to keep the viability of the Indy 500 at its core. And if you went to Formula One type machinery, could you run on the ovals? Probably not. So, you know, you're just going to have these connected. Tony, uh, Roger Penske is, he knows that. I mean, it's not going anywhere. No, I don't have concerns about that either, but it was out there. So we'll go ahead and bring it up. I saw this nugget from Adam Stern on Sports Business Journal. Uh, Penske Entertainment executives are starting to think through the possibility of building some sort of mixed use development around IMS per Jay Douglas Ford, Doug Bowles, the president of IMS. You'll see that happening in the next year or two, at least conceptually, starting to th- think through what do we do. So in the quote, Doug said, you know, this was part of the discussion when Penske Entertainment bought the place and then COVID hit and it was about survival. And now we're just getting to the point where we're starting those discussions again. Uh, right now, we're not even really into the conceptual stage. We're just starting to think about it. So, you know, don't expect big things happening anytime soon. But there is probably some planning going on. And to me, that's exciting because Speedway in the area is already so much further ahead. And it's a reason to visit even on non-race weekends to go down on Main Street. And as an Indianapolis resident, I am excited about the possibility of a little bit more happening on that front. Agreed. Agreed. All right. All right. We'll see what we missed. Uh, Get to some tweets and more coming up in just a moment. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi, this is Felix Rosenquist, and you're listening to Trackside. Thank you for staying with us. Trackside continues, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. IndyCar's back on the road course coming up uh, this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park, but we've had the open test, and we've been talking about this one for a few weeks now. It's finally official. Our 34th entry has been confirmed by all relevant parties, and it will be Able Motorsports moving up from Indy Next to the NTT IndyCar Series, and young American R.C. Enerson getting another crack at the greatest spectacle in racing in the number 50 Chevrolet. And R.C. joins us now. R.C., congratulations again. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, guys. I'm glad we can speak in in definites. I talked to you on Peacock uh, the day before it was officially announced, and I wasn't lying when I said, you know, I've had a few sources tell me this is happening, and and everyone I think knows that I know you and your dad pretty well, but you honestly were not one of the sources. You guys wouldn't give anything up. Good for you. Now that you can speak about it, tell us about the journey to put this program together. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been in the works since January, I believe. I mean, we've got the cars over to them probably somewhere mid-February, I believe, maybe beginning of February. Um, so it's been in the works, and I think everybody kind of knew um, once Trackside kind of came out. And I, I mean, I was surprised it was as quiet as it was for a while, because normally when you see these types of things happen, it gets leaked really fast. Um, so it's pretty surprising to see how, how long we were able to keep under wraps and, and put all of our pieces in, in alignment before this whole thing kind of blew up i guess 
but it's been in the works for a while. Um, John Bruner, we've known him since I started in USF 2000 in what, 2012. And so the, the, the connection there and, and Bill and, and even uh, his son, Jacob, they're just such an awesome family. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been in the works for a while and I'm super excited. I think I would uh, correct Kevin just a little bit. Uh, you, he called you a young American. I think half the field is probably younger than than you are at this point at 26. And it feels like you've been chasing this this dream, really. I mean, you mentioned 2012. I think you first came into my purview in, in like 2015 in lights. So it has been such a journey. Has has it? I assume you haven't been frustrated at, at enough at, to uh, to stop the journey, but does it feel like this? This is a, I don't know. How would you describe the just the frustrations of of trying to get this put together and and make your first Indy five hundred start? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's been long. It's been definitely a long journey. I mean, when we did lights next, Indy next, um, it's so hard for my brain to switch that over to from lights to next. Um, they'll always kind of forever be lights in my mind <laughs> just because how long it was there. But uh, I got into the coin seat and, and did really well there and tried to look at getting a full-time 2017 ride and that just ended up not happening at the time. And uh, then it's just kind of been in and out and uh, getting in and out of opportunities. And I think this one's probably been the most prepared uh, or at least the most prepared I've been and that the car has been and that um, we've been looking forward to. It's just been a long journey to get to the 500. And uh, I think we have a really, really good shot at it. We've, the car has been in prep for a long time. I mean, we didn't miss it by that much um, in 2021. And that was with building a car in 38 days. So taking that same same car, massaging it and getting it into uh, into the state it's in right now has is, is been, a, been a long journey over the past months. And uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm just super excited. I remember when I was one of the young, uh, young and up and comers. I mean, I did my IndyCar debut at 19, um, and I feel like that kind of knocked the door down. I mean, now it's just they're flooding in at 19, 20, 21 years old. So it's it's been pretty awesome. IndyCar's got limited seats. It's been in and out trying to trying to make the best of the opportunities I had, and I think this one's uh, could help break the door down for us. Um, but even just doing those opportunities that I did get throughout the years, um, doors opened and doing the, some of the NASCAR stuff, did just a, a couple IMSA stuff. So it's I've been in and out of a lot of things. So it's IndyCar's the dream, but racing is racing, right? <laughs> I'm still going to say 26 is young. Uh, that's <laughs> definitely young. Just because things have changed in the last 10 or 15 years where everybody seems to get a chance when they're 19, 20, 21, 20 years ago, the average rookie was probably 26 years old. So there's there's still plenty of time. And then kind of piggybacking on what Kurt was getting to, there, there are a lot of guys and girls and women that get just a few starts, are on the brink of it, really successful all the way up through the, the ladder series, and maybe even show well in limited IndyCar opportunities, and then they don't find the funding and they move on with life. Has it made it easier or has it made more sense to continue chasing this dream because you're in the racing business it'd be one thing if your next plan is i'm going to go become a banker or a financial analyst but you and your family are in the racing business and i would argue that you continuing to pursue being an active race car driver kind of helps the brand of the lucas oil school of racing 
Yeah, I think that's been a huge, huge portion of it too. I mean, it's everything I do, whether it's day to day, your normal nine to five, I'm working at a racing school. So, I mean, I'm, I'm totally ingrained in the racing community and all the up and coming stars, especially like one of them that we highlight a lot is, is Reese Gold. He's in Indy next and he came through us. We, I mean, I think it was maybe last year or the year before when we looked at the USF 2000 field and it was 50% of them had done something with us. Hmm. And to kind of have that whole kind of coming up through things and being ingrained in the racing world, that kind of, I mean, if it wasn't in racing, I really don't know what I've been doing. <laughs> so the racing is kind of the full focus for, for as long as I can make that possible. So are the car, go ahead, Kurt. I was just going to say the car, go ahead and finish your, your question because that'll set up mine. Okay. So you've talked about the car prep, you're way ahead of the game from a couple of years ago. A big part of this is finding people. It's very difficult to find quality people for one-offs. What can you tell us about the people running the program beyond John Brunner, who is awesome and we know he'll be good, but he's going to need some help. Yeah. I mean, our engineering staff is, is pretty loaded right now. I mean, uh, we've got people calling from all over the place that really want to be involved in this program. Um, it's been pretty, pretty awesome to see the support from the amount of people that have wanted to be part of it. Um, John's pretty much handling everything as far as the crew goes. I knew, do know rotor. Um, is one of them that I've known for a long, long time that I believe is a part of the crew. Um, but as far as engineering goes, we'll have Eric Peterson and Mike Culliver, um, two insanely experienced engineers. Um, Eric Peterson was a part of our Top Gun effort, but he's also he's been with Dryer a bunch, um, and he's been with uh, Hildebrand for, for many years in the 500. So we're going to be pretty stacked, I think. I think we get, we're, we're giving ourselves every advantage we can to have the best showing. Darcy Anderson joins us. You were at the open test last Thursday, and aside from just being seen and and trying to gather what you can, what was the, you know, you didn't run, but what were the benefits of being there? How were you able to collect, you know, any any nuggets toward this effort? What what was the benefit for you? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is we were, we're trying to figure out which the engineers are going to know a lot more about all this stuff than, than I am. Cause I'm obviously not in the car being able to feel, but those arrow changes, um, and just watching from the, from the outside, being able to see what these guys are able to do in traffic as opposed to previous years and kind of just getting an idea. I think we thought we would miss a little bit more by not being there. Obviously one day got rained out and the other day had like 15, 20 mile an hour sustained winds. So hopefully we don't have that kind of weather um, coming into the 500 week. Hopefully we have uh, really good weather for the for the 500 week qualifying in the race. Um, but I mean, it was able to gather a lot. I mean, majority of it is every, the team's based in Indy. I need to be there as much as possible. I live in Florida, um, which I will be there the whole month, whole month of May. I'm going up to Barber, and I'll be up in Indy for right after that for the for the entire month. So it's uh, it was more or less just being with the team and visiting at the shop and seeing how things are going, getting the meetings we really wanted to get done uh, on the sponsorship side, marketing side, and uh, getting everything set that we needed to in the open test, being there and just uh, seeing all the drivers um, and seeing what information we could get in. Do you have drivers that or friends, I guess we'll call them also, are there a couple people that, that, that you can 
pick their brain with? I mean, who are those guys and and how how do you expect even though cuz you don't have a teammate, so is there somebody that you that you expect to lean on or you've you've leaned on the last few months? Um not necessarily leaned on. Um I mean, the person I'm probably the closest to in the paddock is is Connor and uh he was just saying with the wind and stuff it made it made things very difficult. Um but they said the arrow changes were good. Um I think a lot of people liked some of the arrow changes that they were making, especially I know that the wicker around the side of the car saying they were, wasn't doing as much as it was expected to do. But um, I haven't really got the chance to lean on much of them yet um, and see what's going on. But the one thing that's huge is is the engine manufacturer side. I mean, Chevy's in Honda, there's only two manufacturers and there's 17 of each cars. So, I mean, whenever they get information that's privy to, everybody that's in on the Chevy side, um, they're going to give you that information. So it's not like we're going to be out with no help at all. And there are friends in the paddock. So it's, you're, you're getting all the information we can. I think, um, when it comes down to bump day two, Chevy's going to want as many Chevys in the race as possible. <laughs> hmm. RC Anderson is joining us. He's got five IndyCar starts is finished in the top 10 before, uh, and Watkins Glen back in, in 2016, they've kind of been spread out over a few years and most will remember he had an effort a couple of years ago with a brand new program put together pretty late Top Gun Racing and did not qualify. So you at least have been up to speed. You have that going for you. You are not a raw rookie trying to figure this out. Um, but it would probably be ideal to go through rookie orientation in that rookie orientation situation, not when everybody else is trying to go to 23 uh, right at the beginning and you're being held to 205. Has there been a conversation about maybe being able to go the day before practice begins or Tuesday in the morning, something for a little while on your own to finish the refresher course? Yeah, I believe they have to. Um, it's just okay. a matter of, of when. Um, so I know it's definitely on Tuesday. 16th will be the first day on track. And it's just debating on when that time is going to be. I believe they're, I, uh, I would have the first two hours to finish up the refresher, shake down the car. And then, it, cause I think I'm, I'm the only one left. So get out, get that out of the way. I think that, I mean, we saw it on during the open test. I think almost everybody was done pretty quick. Yep. Um, so I think it'll be pretty quick, get that out of the way. And then once we're done with our refresher and get that out of the way, then they can open the track up for everybody. Um, so I think it'll be pretty quick, pretty simple to, to get that out of the way. The toughest part is trying to go that slow to, to be honest. <laughs> I think Tony put it right. He's like, I had to do a few extra laps just because I was going too fast. I think him and Marco went out on the refresher and their like first time lap was like 220. So you're 10 miles an hour over whatever it is, five miles an hour over what you're supposed to be running. Um, and it's a tough, the, the refresher is actually tough on the simple fact is trying to, to bring the speed down that much. Cause the car is just designed to, to go that quick when you bring the speed down and the car almost feels more uncomfortable because uh, you just don't have that downforce. So got to pile on the downforce to make sure the car is capable of bringing the speed down. But um, really just checking out the boxes. The biggest thing is going to be getting back in the car and the, everybody knows, even some of the drivers have said in the off season, when you get out of the car for months and then get back in, things feel a bit alien the first couple laps and yeah. it's just getting that feel back. But it's once it, get that first couple laps in it comes back really really quick there's a simulator on an oval and one have you had a chance to do anything like that or will you and even so does that do a whole lot for you for an oval 
Um, I wouldn't say too much. I've never really got a chance to jump in one of the big simulators like the Delara Sim or the or the engine manufacturer simulators. But uh, I mean, I'm on iRacing all the time. Uh, the toughest part about any kind of simulator racing is not getting the feeling through your body. Um, the G-force yeah. loads. I mean, you're really getting mo- almost all of the feedback through the steering wheel, which when you're actually in the car, the steering wheel is a, a smaller percentage of that than just kind of feeling it through your butt in the car. So it's it's tough to really manage on a simulator. It's it's more or less just for for a sim for me, especially just the one I have at home. It's more or less for fun <laughs> rather than a full on training. Let's let's go back to twenty twenty one just a little bit. Your your impressions of of the oval. Uh, your impressions of competing in the Indy five hundred. I know you were, as you mentioned, at a disadvantage because of the late start, but. I don't know. I just kind of enjoy the the hearing what what it what it's like. You know, your first time, um, and I'm sure you've replayed that many times. But just give us a sense for that. Yeah, I think well, one thing I was very fortunate was being able to run the Freedom 100. So it wasn't my first time on the speedway. Um, I'd done two Freedom 100s, and I even did one of the tired tests there in the in the in the next car. So I, I've gotten a lot of time around the track. So getting in and then I did a bunch of the two seater stuff before I ever got a chance to, to get on the track with the, the Indy car. So it's, it was basically just picking up about 20 miles an hour, 20, 30 miles an hour. So and the, and the car's designed to do it. So it didn't take too much to, to get the feeling there and be comfortable. Um, but it is just a, it's a whole nother feeling going around that place at that kind of speed. Um, and the plan well, for most drivers, it's just when you're out there by yourself, especially for the refresher. And what we did in 2021 is, is keep keep your foot down and keep it flat. Make sure you're nice and smooth. R.C. Anderson will be back at Indianapolis coming up uh, in May with a chance to bump his way in. Uh, 34 cars for 33 spots. What's that pressure going to be like for you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the goal is let's stay out of that last row shootout. Let's get in on Saturday. Um you had to deal with it before. Does that help a little bit too? Um, yeah, I guess really the ultimate goal is to beat four cars. <laughs> that's yep. that's the that's the real goal is to be in on Saturday and not have to worry about it. Um, but you always got to plan for the best, plan for the worst, and uh, we're just we're, our plan is to give it our best effort. And uh, knowing John Bruner, Bill Abel, they they don't they don't do anything unless they're they're fully prepped for it. So I, I think we'll have a good showing. Um, I did have a lot of people at the open test um, come and say that. And I think a few teams that think they were locked in are maybe a, a little bit worried now. Um, but it's going to come down to, to qualifying day and get the refresher out of the way, get comfortable, maybe run some traffic through the practice days, but qualifying is the real goal and make sure we're in the show. I will agree with that. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of teams. You, first of all, we're all worried. We just, most of us tend to be worried. So unless you know you're going to be top 10 in speed, you're always thinking, hey, what if we draw our first qualifying opportunity at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it's 90 degrees and we have a crash on Thursday? So there are a lot of things that happen. Uh, When there are 34 for 33, a lot of people are nervous. R.C. Anderson will be in the number 50 car. The last time the 50 car ran, I believe, it won the race with Dario Franchitti in, in 2012, so that's a good omen as well. With Able Motorsports, RC, congratulations. We'll see you back here in town in a few weeks. We'll see you in Barber this weekend. Yep, yeah, thanks. I'll see you guys at Barber. 
All right, we'll see what we've missed and more coming up in just a moment. Trackside, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment, what we missed, other items. Uh, I see that the NASCAR ratings have been either up or the same for the last two weeks, and there was a joke about the Chase Elliott effect. Uh, We were talking ratings either last week or the week before, and how it's been a bit of a challenge, and they seem to lose about a half a million year-to-year race-to-race. And one of the ideas suggested was no Chase Elliott, and wow, Chase might ask for a raise from NASCAR because he comes back, and it's the first two races of the year that have not had declines in viewership. Uh, Next weekend, or this weekend, head-to-head, IndyCar and NASCAR, unfortunately, once again, uh, the race at, where are they at, Dover? This weekend starts about an hour before the IndyCar race. It is on FS1. Last time out, I think some of us were pleasantly surprised that IndyCar reached a decent amount over a million head-to-head with the cup race and also uh, LeBron and Ja Moran in the NBA playoffs and much, much more. So compelling action, good scene. By the way, Did you like Townsend Bell's entrance into Long Beach? I did. I thought it was really good. I thought it came off really well, and it was uh, fun to try to do something different, and especially fun since I wasn't the one that had to try anything different. But Townsend came up with a nice creative idea, and and I thought it came out pretty well. Uh, NASCAR-related, Frankie Munoz leads the ARCA point, so I thought I'd just mention that since... We all take cracks and Malcolm in the middle and Malcolm in the back when he ran in the Atlantic series. This is Malcolm in the front of the arc of points after three races. Not fantastic results. I think something like ninth, sixth and 11th or whatever, but consistent. And he's finished each time around. A couple of tweets that have come in tonight for the Love of Indy. Always fact checks for us and looked it up. 2015 was the last time four different teams won the first four races. Penske, Schmidt-Peterson, Ganassi, and Carpenter Fisher Hartman would have been the team that Ed Carpenter, or that uh, rather Joseph Newgarden won for in 2015 for his first IndyCar win at Barber Motorsports Park. And he also says that it happened in 14 with Penske, ECR, Andretti, and SPM. So it's been a little while, but that's a good note. And also points out when we were talking about trying to pick out the best Indy 500s, and uh, I randomly threw out 1937, and he accurately points out that the 1937 Indianapolis 500 was incredible. Uh, He says, I'm being serious, and its historical uh, significance is greater than many realize. So I can't vouch for it being incredible because I haven't seen it. But that was on the list that uh, Russ Thompson, our statistical guru, put together for us to remind us of. And I I do remember from time with Donald that until 82, that was the closest finish, a little over two seconds. And it was Wilbur Shaw's first win. And uh, there were a lot of other significant moments in that. But, yeah, you get what I'm talking about. In that sense, field of 33, Paul Dalby wrote, since I begrudgingly accepted that we'll never get the first weekend of qualifying back. I really like your first weekend practice scenario. Starting practice on a Tuesday is a total dud with almost no fanfare or excitement. I also do remember, Paul, that even when it started on Saturday, there wasn't a lot going on that day which led people like me when the GP idea was floated to say, you know what, we need to announce our presence with authority. So unless you're able to do something more significant, 
just oval practice, and especially when it included rookie orientation. There are ways to tweak it, but but it's not a it's not a no brainer. And then, as I mentioned, after we started thinking about it, there are some drawbacks to not having a road course race uh, in Indianapolis in May. Not major, but minor, with no opportunities for the Junior Series to be involved to really help their partners be racing in May in Indianapolis. Okay, we're out of time. We will do it again, and we'll have five hours next week. We're on from 7 until 8, starting Monday night to recap Barber. Uh, Jake Query and Mike Thompson will have Beyond the Bricks at 8 o'clock, so we'll start getting ready for the greatest spectacle in racing. Thanks to Eddie Garrison. For Kurt, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.